we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the Fan. Happy Family Day to all of our listeners. To part of our weekly family is Frank Saravelli, NHL insider, and president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Frank, how's it going? Good morning. I'm good. How are you guys? We are swell. We are living in the excitement of a trade happening that has to do with our market. What a blessing. Yeah. And it wasn't Jacob Chikrin, so vibes are good here. Um, before we talk about the Ryan O'Reilly. What's wrong with Jacob Chikrin? Well, I'm, just, I'm sick of talking about him until he gets traded, so trade him. All right. Uh, okay. okay, so I want to ask about the stadium series game because you were there first, um, and I think it kind of snuck up on us here in this market at least. I feel like the marketing department of the NHL doesn't do enough to support some of these things, but you were there in person. Was it a success? How was the environment? It looked beautiful, but I wasn't there, so I want to know. Yeah, it was a huge success. Um, honestly, I, I think I sat down yesterday and did the math. That was the 21st outdoor game that I've covered, and it was one of the very best, one, two, or three, somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow. Um, it was super entertaining from an off-ice standpoint. Like It was a, an all-out party. Think like college game day. Nice. Hellgate's going in the very early afternoon for an 8 p.m. puck drop. It was mayhem in the parking lot. Honestly, you couldn't even get in the parking lot. Beer pong tables, ice luges, anything wow. you could think of. The the Carolina barbecue, the sweet smells of that wafting. It was uh, it was pretty awesome. It was like a Bills tailgate. Yeah, it was it was a straight up football tailgate. Hell yeah! And the weather was perfect. It was like. Uh, 12 degrees, 13 degrees Celsius. And uh, then they played hockey at night and it was like no wind. The The ice was great. The stadium was full, 57,000 people. Like you couldn't ask for anything better than what the NHL got on Saturday. And so what about Carolina and the city that gets to celebrate? Maybe for the first time, I believe that they're getting this opportunity. And It was. And as a traditional hockey market, that they might not have been. I think we can be in agreement. Like they're growing into that. Mm -hmm. Their team has now, you know, been a, a really great team to follow and cheer for the last couple of years. Feels like a really nice opportunity for them and that they had, you know, deserved it. Well, and that's the thing is this has been years in the making. Like they were supposed to host this in 2021, um, sort of right in the middle of COVID and they didn't get the opportunity. Then it gets bumped to 2023 and, they had to wait, and the amazing part about waiting is their team has only gotten better and better over these last few years to the point where they're one of the beasts of the East now, and the market is still growing. Like, I was in, in an elevator on my way up to the press box, and I heard some guy who was like, hey, do y'all have halftime in hockey? And I was like, that is amazing. Like, I love that that question is being asked, but nonetheless, you go from – you know, your core fan base where they, when, when Tom Dundon took over in 2018, they had 5,000 season ticket holders. They're now up to 15,000. So you, you get outside of that core fan base and then you get into, you know, at 57,000 people introducing all these other people who experienced the tailgate. And there was a fight in, in this game and there was scoring and all these, you know, some ridiculous moves on the ice. You bring those fans in and hopefully suck them in for life. So I know, like, the issue with outdoor or outdoor games, rather, is, like, the saturation of them. Like, they, they kind of mm -hmm. lose their meaning. There's too many of them. And But I wonder with this, like, okay, that's a smashing success. Why wouldn't Carolina want this every year? And it's okay if us north of the border here in Toronto paid no attention to it because Ryan O'Reilly was out there mm -hmm. making his debut for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, 
is it possible that these stadium series could exist like case by case and Carolina could just opt to do this? Or, I mean, it, I know the answer that it does have to be NHL sanctioned and all that stuff, but like when a team like Carolina who knows they can have this epic party every year kind of push for that and maybe that's the sell on these outdoor games. Well, it's really expensive. I don't know what the cost is to put something like that on, but it's crazy. And I think you're right in the sense that I've kind of, you know, having been to a lot of them and then also, you know, having seen a lot of them unfold, I I think there is like some outdoor game fatigue and you kind of grown nationally like, oh, okay, another outdoor game. Great. But the thing is, when you actually go to the market, it matters in that market a lot every single time. And more to the point, like this was like, you couldn't get a ticket to this game and I'm not exaggerating. Like tickets, they were 275 bucks. They were going for um, at the very last second and people that just couldn't, couldn't get enough of them. Mm. So like if that stadium was 75,000 people, it it would have been sold out. Um, It was, it was full. And so it matters in market. You drive in town, like, Stadium series is on like the skyscrapers that they have there, the big buildings. Like it was all over. So it mattered. It just didn't resonate elsewhere. And and I guess that's kind of the point is like, why would it like, why would you guys in Toronto or me in Philly or anywhere, anywhere else really care? I think, and I think that's okay. If it can work and make that much money, 275 per ticket, Mm -hmm. just have these locally when it, when it works. And when, and if it continues to work, I, I don't know why they wouldn't continue to go to the well. Um, Let's go to the Leafs and Ryan O'Reilly. Why was Riley, O'Reilly rather, the acquisition for the Leafs? But maybe more important than that, why were the Leafs right for Ryan O'Reilly? Well, I've actually struggled a little bit to answer the second part of that question. And I do think that the details that are in his game and the compete level, and obviously the playoff experience winning a Conn Smythe are really significant. To me, when you kind of boil it down and to try to answer the second part of the question, it, it, it comes down to the previous lack of playoff success that this team has had. And in some ways, if you think about it, it's, it's also kind of an indictment on the team's core, if you think about it, that they needed to bring in a player with that type of resume, they felt, in order to get, get the job done. And I understand mm-hmm. from a matchup perspective, the, you know, all the sort of, you know, excitement that Sheldon Keefe now has on his and, and flexibility that he now has on his lineup card to move a bunch of players around. And if, if you can be in a spot where you can go Matthews, Tavares, O'Reilly, one, two, three, like that's a pretty special group of centers. And he is ideally suited to be a third line center at this point in his career, particularly with the season that he was having in St. Louis. So, um, you know, that's that's been sort of really interesting to to figure out on the back end of this trade is the Leafs' thought process to get there. What do you think about the cost? It's high. It is. And, um, look, it's not going to matter if the Leafs go on a deep run um, or if they're able to, you know, finally break through. And a lot of people have been saying in the last few days, well, if they can just win one round, like the, this team could go to the Stanley cup final and, and they could um, if they could break through that, but it doesn't change the fact to me that when you look at the way this playoff structure sets up, it's still a gauntlet against likely the Tampa Bay lightning in the first round with Andre Vasilevsky staring you in the face. And 
then if you if you're lucky enough to get past that, probably the Boston Bruins, and then what may be waiting in in round three could be the Carolina Hurricanes or something like that. That it's it's still a daunting task, and I don't know that this trade to me changes the balance of power in the East. Um, I don't think it changes the balance of power in the division. Um, and it's an expensive price to pay. And I know that the Leafs at this exact moment in time don't care about first, second, third, and fourth round picks. And I think it was Elliot over the weekend who was talking about the fact that they probably checked in on Timo Meyer but felt that the price was too high. I'd be really curious at the end of the day to see what Timo Meyer goes for because I don't know that it is going to be that much wow. more at all than than the price that the Leafs paid for O'Reilly. So they paid a significant premium for the Conn Smythe and the Selkie and all those things that have been in Ryan O'Reilly's trophy case for the last number of years. But if you actually really closely look at his game this season and just this season, you know, it's that's, that, that hasn't been there. It, it hasn't been nearly close to that level. And the hope is that bringing him to a new environment um, he talked about the energy of what it was like, and he's a big energy guy um, to, to see what it was like to step in to make his Maple Leafs debut at home and wear that jersey, that that was really special, and it always is. But you have to hope that that energy is enough to give him a shot in the arm to have him get back closer to the level that he was at previously because it, it hasn't been there this season. No, it's uh, you're hoping, I guess, if you're Kyle Dubas, that the environment he was in was hurting his play and that the environment he's stepping into will benefit his play. Uh, Kyle Dubas did explain that there was some reluctance, I think, last week to move or maybe the week before that to move draft capital for rental assets. Uh, I don't think you use the word rental there, but do you consider O'Reilly a pure rental? And if there is some discussion about what next season or beyond could look like with Ryan O'Reilly... What do you think that might be? Well, it was funny because I used that word on social media and got torched for it. But the fact is, like, stone cold, crystal clear, hard fact, at this exact moment in time, Ryan O'Reilly is a rental. He doesn't have a contract for next season. And therefore, at the exact moment in time that the Leafs made the trade, unless they know something that the rest of us don't, and unless they were, um, you know, ready to pull the trigger on an extension, which I don't believe is the case, um, then, then he is a rental. And the truth is with O'Reilly and the, the world that um, he's sort of been in contract talk-wise, um, he, he's not in the same type of situation. Like I know that he's made $76 bucks, but he's 32. He's not 38 like Mark Giordano. I don't see him being one of those guys that's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll take you know, a million bucks for the next two years. Mm-hmm. It's I, I don't I'm I don't see that at all. I don't even think he's even close to that. Um, I think you know in a best case scenario type of world, you're looking at like a three times five million dollar deal is sort of if he and that's the thing that's if he plays up to the level that the Toronto Maple Leafs think that he'll be at. That's the type of world that he's probably living in in his next contract. And I, I personally, even with the cap going up, which I think it is three and a half million bucks. I don't know that they have the room to keep him given the other objectives and things that they need to tackle on their list. So um, I, I see him as a rental in Toronto. Can he be more than that? I mean, I guess you could always, you know, move things around after the fact and, and make a different transaction here or there, trade a piece away 
in order to try and reshuffle your deck and keep him. But I don't even think that's really all that much front of mind at this exact moment in time. It's all about what happens in the playoffs. And so I can have my thoughts and my, my take on how this trade looks right now. Um, here's the thing. For Kyle Dubas, it feels like a significant price paid that's either going to be a signature move or the signature on his death warrant as GM of the Leafs. Well, yeah, uh, it definitely seems like that's potentially the case. I threw out five times five as a potential uh, next contract where maybe that's a middle ground where uh, there's a lot of money up front or not a lot of money in total, but uh, you could kind of keep that uh, that price down, at least in the interim. Um, Kyle Dubas, obviously, is, this is, as you mentioned, this is a big, big moment. Uh, is it, we have a former general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, or sorry, general manager, uh, yeah, GM of the Toronto Blue Jays, Alex Anthopoulos, who basically burned it to the ground on his way out and traded everything in order to really go for it. And it was an exhilarating time to be a Toronto sports fan in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, this team looks a bit incomplete. Like, you could see where there'd be another move that could really optimize this group, turn it into uh, maybe the team he has envisions. There's still pieces out. There's not much draft capital, but there's still a piece like a Matthew Nice. Keeping the price down on Ryan O'Reilly, does that indicate that there's probably something else that he has cooking up? I've seen a lot of people say that, but I guess there's only really cap space if you're not planning on activating Matt Murray. Like, that's still the next thing that needs to come. And, and I think just by pure back-of-the-napkin math, if they send down Joe Wall and someone else, um, put someone else on waivers, like, they, they're able to get there. But that, again, you, you said incomplete, and I think that's the best way to look at it. Their goaltending, when, you know, when comparing themselves to this gauntlet that they're facing, is the weakest of the bunch their defense when looking at the rest of the gauntlet that they're staring down is probably still the weakest of the bunch. So they've got work to do and they've got limited capital and limited cap space to do it. Can they move a piece from the roster to do it? Of course they can. Um, it's, it's typically been rare, especially in recent NHL history for a team to pry off a roster piece or two in, in, to get where they need to get to usually that type of trade would happen earlier in the season. doesn't normally happen at the deadline. So, you know, unless or if they know something about their goaltending again, that we don't, which is always possible. Um, or they're seeing something as a lower price, lower cost acquisition that they can make on their back. end. I just don't know for that type of world that they'd be living in cap wise and asset wise, again, trying to hang on to Matt Nye's that they are really going to be able to find a quality difference maker that's going to send them on their way to help shift that balance of power. So last night, Patrick Kane, Hatrick Kane um, plays uh, with the Leafs fandom hearts a little bit. One week ago, we saw him and we thought, oh, maybe we don't want Patrick Kane. And then no good. Vladimir Tarasenko gets traded and then Ryan O'Reilly gets traded and he comes out with a little bit of fire under his ass. Um, looks like he wants to prove something or maybe he's trying to figure out what's next for his life. He did comment post game about, well, if I knew I would have done it already. What do you think he wants to do or what do you think he's playing for at this moment? Is it a little bit of revenge to those that passed up on him? Yeah, I mean, it certainly felt like 
Patrick Kane scoring five goals in the last two games was him sort of raising uh, maybe a, a finger perhaps mm. to everyone else to say, what? first off, my hip's fine, leave me alone. And second, uh, I'll call the shots here. That if you didn't call on me to this point and you didn't present yourselves as an option and you went out and spent your assets like, the New York Rangers did, or like the Toronto Maple Leafs did. And I understand what he said post-game, like, you know, a lot of people have said this was an option. I don't know that it was. Um, And maybe that's true. Um, The thing is, he's been slow to react, and he's cost himself some opportunities, I think. And so now he's gotten himself in gear. His game has – is obviously there's, there's something still there. And he's one of the very – he's an assassin. That's the best way to explain Patrick Kane. There's one of very few people on this entire planet that have scored game-winning overtime goals in the conference final and in the Stanley Cup final. And that's – he's like a, an audience of, of one or two or three, maybe, that have done that. And he's still got game, and he's ready to go, it seems to me to head somewhere else. The question is how many teams is he going to present as an opportunity to the Chicago Blackhawks? And even if it's just one, I'd imagine there's a deal to work out. I love how the Leafs just like merely exist and, and just go about their business. <laughs> and they've made an enemy out of one of the assassins of the game. That's hilarious. Uh, I don't know if they'll see him again, but uh, it's pretty funny how it works out. Do, do you think they will be like, I don't know, the weekend is that renewed interest. I'm not really sure, but if he's, I think he did. It, 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 so what happens now? Like who, who do you think could be sniffing around Patrick Kane? If they're like, okay, that was a reminder. He's okay. And maybe he wants it. So let's revisit this. Is it Boston or Tampa reacting to Toronto? Is it a team like the Edmonton Oilers, maybe moving on from the Eric Carlson discussions and thinking, Hey, we've got to get better. Cause we're not playing all that well. What, what do you think the renewed interest or where do you think that renewed interest might come from? Well, I've been thinking a lot about that idea of a response from the Bruins or lightning. And, and first off, um, I don't, you know, as, as much as the O'Reilly trade, you know, the Leafs believe helped them. I don't think the the Tampa Bay lightning are sitting there saying, Oh, well, we better, we better do something. Like, Oh, geez, what are we going to do? I don't know how we're going to face this team. Now I'm sure they're going to make some small improvement. And I know that, you know, asset wise and cap wise, they're in a much worse situation than the Leafs entered with. They don't have the draft capital. They don't have the prospects. Uh, and they also don't have the cap hit. Um, so they're, I'm, I'm sure, working through it in a smart way to try and find a piece or two um, that's a, a curated fit that can help their bottom six specifically because that's where they need the most help um, to add some depth. Boston, they're still in the market for a left shot defenseman. I still think they're the team that's the front runner for Vladislav Gavrikov. Uh, and by the way, I, you know, we did talk about the Leafs. Like, I, I, I don't think they're done, but we did say um, that it's, it's probably not going to be as big of a difference maker. When it comes to Kane, um, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think that either one of those two teams, Boston or Tampa, is in the mix. Um, nice. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, don't well, say that's Kane maybe a to little... the Canes. Don't say it. Well, I think that's you have to hold out the idea that that's a possibility the longer that this drags on because they're in a spot where they're monitoring the price, I think. I don't think he's top of mind or top of list for them. But first off, if Patrick Kane picks you, you have to at least think about it. And two, um, 
they're not, they don't really want to spend a ton for rentals. That's not the world that they live in. And, and unlike, you know, sort of what Kyle Dubas said and then did, that's sort that's not really how they approach it. They don't say it just to say it. Um, and so now two teams that I think you, you really need to keep an eye on for Kane. We, you talk about the Oilers and the weekend that they've had. It was disastrous. And I think they've been, you know, flirtatious in their own sort of thought process with how Patrick Kane might fit. It, you know, if you could possibly go a, a Kane, McDavid, Kane line, whew, mm. what kind Gosh. of uh, opportunities you'd have there or just play him anywhere with McDavid or Dreisaitl would be sort of mind-blowing to think about. So I think they're interested. It's a matter of is Patrick Kane interested uh, and the Dallas Stars are another team to watch. Um, they're a team that's been one of the most consistent in the West all season long, sort of lurking there. Um, they've got a veteran presence. They've got the goaltender. Uh, they've got a top-flight defenseman in Haskinen. Like, they've got a lot of things that really make you excited about Dallas with that top line that Kane coming in could really add and give them a boost. Is there immense value in, as you put it, Patrick Kane picking you? Like, I think the worry for Lee fans, hey, we just <laughs> spent four, we a first, a second, a third, and a fourth for Ryan O'Reilly, and then Bo- and then he's like, hey, I kind of want to go to Boston, and Boston's like, hey, here's a second-round pick for the future Hall of Famer. Like, if if he picks you, does that mean everything in terms of acquisition costs and what you can actually accomplish and what is palatable for a team looking to make a move? Well, yeah, I do. It, it it depends squarely on how many teams are presented. Like, is there a decoy here in the negotiating factor uh, where there's another team that he doesn't really want to go to but would do it in order to up the price for the Chicago Blackhawks? Does he care about that? Um, he probably does because of what he's accomplished there and what he means to that franchise. There's probably something tugging at him to say, I'm not going to be that guy that just gives them one team to negotiate with and they know it and they're not going to give up a lot. But I think before this explosion this weekend with five goals, it shouldn't change a whole lot, but I think it was a huge reminder that he does have a lot left. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams were wondering, can we get Patrick Kane for a second-round pick plus a grade-A pl- prospect plus something else? Uh, is that enough to get him out of there? And the, the big, It all comes back to how many teams are in the mix. Okay, speaking of the Chicago Blackhawks, the other guy that potentially maybe was going to get traded with Jonathan Taves, but he made a statement. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. He's still suffering with the effects of long COVID and some other health concerns. Um, it's great that he's honest and he's he's going to put his health first and not his career at this moment. Um, do you think that changed anyone's plans? I do think there were a number of teams that were really curious to see like um and have been all season long like could we add a player like this of this skill set with you know this sort of stingy pain in the arse guy to play against that wins you a ton of face-offs that he's sort of in the same vein but a little bit older as ryan o'reilly it's almost the exact same transaction um except taves is is more accomplished uh in the trophy case and his exploits are just a little bit further in the rearview mirror than O'Reilly. So same exact type of, um, of transaction in terms of impact and thought process that teams viewed O'Reilly with was Taves. And now, you know, another guy that's off the board and 
it's just kind of a tough turn of events for Taves. Like, mm-hmm. I think he was really curious about what it might be like to play somewhere else. I think uh, I've seen a lot of people on social media reacting in the last 24 hours saying, oh, yeah, this was always part of the plan. He'd mm-hmm. go down with this illness again just so that he could avoid the part of, of calling it, you know, a career in Chicago and, and get ridiculous. traded. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was way over the top, as usual. Like, if that's not what you're doing on social media, apparently you're not doing it right. <laughs> that's right. Um, but when it comes to Taves, like, I actually think he genuinely seemed to be, of the two players, more intrigued about moving on initially than Kane was. I think Kane has needed to, to go through this process to see what it would be like and Taves was more or less ready, was my understanding. And to now be in a spot where your body just doesn't cooperate, that's hard. Like, it's to hear some of the reports from Chicago and what it's been like. He's, you know, apparently north of 240 pounds, struggling with, with body fat percentage. Like, it's just he wants to do more. This is, like, one of the healthiest guys in the mm-hmm. league that was growing his own vegetables, like, 10 years ago. Um, it just... He, he hasn't been able to have his body cooperate. And I think the larger question is not just from a trade perspective, like what will happen with Jonathan Taves and his career? And is this it? That's the question that no yeah. one's really been willing to ask in the last 24 hours. Well, we hope the best for him. That's just a horrible turn of events. And it's good that he's taken some time and, and working on that, but it's uh, probably really difficult at the end of the stage of your career to, to have to weigh those things about trying to win a Stanley cup, trying to be healthy and uh, maybe move on from a franchise. Frank, appreciate you well, joining us. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, I was going to say the good news is he's won three. So I yeah, think he's I think doing all right. He'll be all right. Um, <laughs> Frank, I appreciate you joining us this morning. Hope you're recovering from your day of beer pong and, Partying it up like a college guy. It was the ice luge that got me, yeah. The ice luge. Ooh, buddy. All right. Well, uh, go get him. Rest up today, (laughs) Frank. (laughs) Have a good week, guys. See ya. You as well. That's Frank Cerevelli, NHL Insider, President of Hockey Content at DailyFaceOff.com. Maybe a little dose of reality from Frank there. Hasn't been a great season for Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Big price. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the slam dunk, you know, return home to blue and white. Imagine Timo Meyer goes for something really similar. I think we can all swallow our pride a bit and say, ooh. And that's why, that's why I kind of think there's something cooking. It's not just a pure rental. He said it, he didn't want to do it, and he did it. Because it's maybe not a pure rental. I don't know. We we will never know. Well, we will eventually find out. Hopefully we know. But in the short term, we won't know. I think this will hang over it a little bit. And even if there is some sort of, hey, uh, yeah, we're interested, doesn't mean there's going to be an agreement. Um, Timo Meyer was an asset that you keep around and trade and get some of those picks back for. Ryan O'Reilly for now is at least a sunk asset in a lot of ways. And he's got to perform for this team or it's going to look poorly on Kyle Dubas, who, a reminder, does not have a contract. A lot of pending trade grades possibly to come. A little reevaluation. We can we can do Revisionist that. Revisionist history. Incomplete. Um, all right, time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. Remember the Super Bowl? Vaguely. It was just last week. The week before. A week ago, we were breaking it down. We were. One of the major storylines was how terrible that turf was. How terrible the field was. Right, how right, could right. they ever roll out this grown grass for the Super Bowl? risked the injury of some of the greatest and became a negative talking point. And many of us thought 
that that was because of Oklahoma State that grew this turf, this grass. Failures. Well, let's chew on this. Oklahoma State has now come out and said, "Uh uh-uh, this is the fault of the NFL. Mm. They did develop and patent this grass, which is called Tahoma 31. But they had no role in creating or preparing the field for Super Bowl this past weekend. Tahoma 31 was used for the base layer, but the field was also seeded with a top layer of ryegrass, which has a slick leaf surface when damp. That and other factors may have contributed to the traction issues during play. Quote, the Philadelphia Eagles played on Tahoma 31 at Lincoln Financial Field during the 2022 season, including the NFC Championship game two weeks ago. Tahoma 31 is widely used at high-profile sites across the country, including the Arkansas Razorback Stadium, which was recognized as the 2022 College Football Field of the Year by the Sports Field Management Association. Mm. So not a great look that the NFL then added something, a top layer that screwed everything up, but there's a hot debate now, a you, rivalry. I mean, you don't mess with Tacoma 31. Tacoma 31, Tahoma. Sorry, Tahoma 31. There's no C. I'm not really sure. I messed it up. Tahoma, Tacoma. Oh, I, I don't really. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making sure. Um, anyway, so good for Oklahoma State to say, hey, now. Stand up for yourself, Oklahoma State. This ain't on us. The NFL decided to screw around with the formula. Mm. And nonetheless... It's very exact. It's like chemistry. It is. Can't mess with it. Agriculture experts all flew to Twitter. And here we are. We are learning the real issues with the grass. And that was the NFL. So losers. Roger Goodell, once again. Winners and losers on the other side of the break. And the first edition of Know Your Hamlet. That's next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Justin and Ailish, happy family I hope day. that was a Clinton-based rock band. I don't know. Took us in. I looked for Clinton-based artists and musicians in Slim Pickings. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start it's with... It's not where they specialize. No, 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 it's not. They specialize in Stanley Cup champs. Do you want to know Know Your Hamlet first? I want to Know Your Hamlet first. Do we have Know Your Hamlet music? We don't yet, I don't think, but no. we need it. What would it be like? I don't know. Something about, like, home. I'm coming home. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming home. Yes. Tell yeah. the world I'm coming home. There you go. No, Your Hamlet. Clinton, Ontario. Let's hear let's hear the facts. The home of Ryan O'Reilly, where mm-hmm. he was born and raised to become the successful Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe, trophy winner, Selkie, all of the above, captain, leader. He grew up and learned from the village turned Hamlet turned town of Clinton, Ontario. It really like he is so famous and so accomplished, and he comes from such a small town. You think like he'd be home of Ryan O'Reilly when you drive in? It, Clinton, Ontario, home of Ryan O'Reilly, home of Stanley Cup champion and Conn Smythe winner, Ryan O'Reilly? Could be. It, it, it certainly could be. I didn't drive to Clinton to look at the sign. I thought you did full research on this. I didn't drive to Clinton to look at the entrance sign. Next time I will. Okay. Clinton was established in 1831. Today, around 3,100 people 
live in Clinton, mm-hmm. a small town that you know they're celebrating Family Day today, part of the central Huron mun- municipality. Now, Clinton, Clinton has some really important roots for our country and our history in World War II. I can't wait to hear them. Clinton is Canada's home of radar. There's a large radar antenna in the downtown because of their association with RCAF station Clinton during World War II. Clinton was known as the Corners or Rattenbury Corner earlier in its days. In World War II, the CFB Clinton, a base for Canadian forces, was located just out of town. The large antennas are now an area of attraction in the small town. If you're driving by Clinton, you got to stop to look at the antennas. Clinton RCIF station was a top secret school that trained airmen in radar technology in World War II. You can also visit, this is very fun, the School on Wheels Museum. It was a rail car turned traveling school system that taught out of town um, children to educate them that didn't have access to school. Oh, It's permanently on display in Clinton. You can learn about their history with museums. I thought Ryan might have got his start in that... That mobile school system. <laughs> I think he, he didn't. This was a little bit before Ryan O'Reilly's time. A little time. bit before, yeah. In the summer, families can make their way to the splash pad in multiple playgrounds found off of Park Lane. You can go to Artist Alley. It's a seasonal outdoor gallery with colorful paintings made by residents. There's a light tunnel open year-round next to their historic town hall. And get get ready for this. You can catch live harness racing at the Clinton Raceway every Sunday afternoon from Victoria Day to Labor Day. Mm. They have a newly reconstructed Main Street with really cute shops like the Dutch Store, the Huron Christmas Store, and the Artisan Market. Great bakeries and restaurants. A very great small town vibe. And finally, their list of famous Clinton residents is slim. Less than 10 on the Wikipedia page that I found this from. Okay. Joseph Whitehead from 1814 to 1894 was a Canadian railway pioneer and political figure, former mayor of Clinton and the first area MP. It's a great resume. William Mustard from 1914 to 1987 was an innovative innovative cardiac surgeon. Okay. That's good. William Dillon Otter. The first Canadian-born commander of the Canadian Army, and of course, Ryan O'Reilly, up there with the legends of Clinton, Ontario. So next time I'm driving down Highway 8, maybe mm-hmm. on the way to Concarden or Goderick. That's right. I'm going to have to stop in in Clinton, check out the antenna, mm-hmm. maybe go for a little splash. You have and to go marvel, to the school car. And marvel at a sign that I presume will say... Home of Ryan O'Reilly. I hope so. Stanley Cup champion in 2019, and maybe a Stanley Cup champion again once again in the future. That was your inaugural edition of Know Your Hamlet. I love that. Thank you very much. If you're from Clinton. Oh, my God. Or the One surrounding area. One of of you, please, I need to hear from you. If you're listening, let us know if we did your town, your Hamlet, justice. I tried. A lot of research went into it. Not many um, websites with information on Clinton. No? But... I scavenged the internet for that. Winner, Clinton. Big winner, Clinton. Yay. Should we get to winners let's and losers? Let's do winners and losers. All right, let's do it. You wanted to talk about Mac McClung, so. I would like to start with the Mac McClung story. It. Because Justin in the Wake and Rake on Friday mentioned that he's going 
you know, betting big on Mac McClung. And to be honest, I didn't know much about Mac McClung because he's probably had the best five days that you can have as a professional athlete, possibly. <laughs> Stole the show yeah. at All-Star Weekend. Um, five days ago, he was not on an NBA roster. He's playing for the Sixers G League affiliate, the Delaware Blue Coats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Saturday night becomes the center of the basketball world, capping off a week in which she signed this two-way contract with the Sixers, scoring a perfect 50 in the dunk contest on three of four of his dunks and doubled his salary that he was making this year in one weekend. Wow. He was absolutely ma- so, so maybe the on. best part of this whole weekend. For a skills competition, you can win money? You can. Wow. Mm, what a novel concept. <laughs> he has earned, I believe, double, a hundred and something thousand dollars for said event. And he was awesome. It was great to cheer for the guy. The best part of the dunk contest, besides his dunks, was watching people reacting. Mm-hmm. It is meme. It is central of of content of the guys just Oh my God! Every time this guy Mac McClung got up and dunked, and it was great. It was See, amazing. That's one of the things that I hate the most about skills competitions that are like the subjective voting, like ten out of ten. There's people. There's a. There are people in the crowd, or or celebrities chosen mm-hmm. to rank the dunks, rank the shots, rank whatever. It's always wrong. And I will give credit. I'm not going to give credit to a specific person because the specific person who actually did kind of make the right uh, decisions problematic guy but he was there anyway and he uh he was giving the right scores i thought and the whole group was giving i thought the right scores but what will tell you who wins a dunk contest is the reaction from mm-hmm. the players that are courtside and the people that were courtside and once they were all on the court after mcclung had his last dunk and he did the it's over which it's w- over. which meant it was over let's be honest that was the winner and if it if it resulted in any other person winning for whatever reason it would have been a, a a sham, but he was so dominant that it didn't even matter. They couldn't get it wrong because he nailed his dunk every single time and his dunks were better. And I'll give like the best part about it was you didn't have to watch him do it three or four times. No, he just, he just nailed efficiency. it every single time. He didn't go beyond the pale. He did what he knew he could do. And he was the story. I think of the entire weekend, mm-hmm. Mac McClung, the biggest winner, I think from Utah career earnings, $106,000. Dunk contest winning one hundred thousand dollars, so basically doubled. So maybe a million for me was a little aggressive, but yeah, you're you crazy. should win a hundred thousand dollars if you win the slam dunk contest. All right. Uh, we talked about John Schneider, how he saved a woman's life. He sure did. Uh, at lunch, I believe it was, earned a free beer by performing the Heimlich maneuver. Big winner, of course. You can't leave him out. John Schneider, a massive winner this weekend, and another winner. I'll go. I'll go Tiger Woods. Okay, because I I have this in the middle of my Venn diagram. He's Venn diagram for you. I I think, yeah, it was a tough final round for old Tiger, and maybe four rounds caught up to him. We understand, you know, it's going to be difficult for him to perform at the PGA Tour level level or survive the rigors of a PGA Tour schedule because of the demands on the body. And maybe we saw that in the final round. But him making the cut, having Mm -hmm. some real awesome moments, Maybe proving to people that, hey, yeah, in a vacuum, he, he might be able to compete at certain events where it is a little bit easier on the body. I think, uh, you know, every weekend that he gets involved could like kind of set up for failure, set up for embarrassment a little bit. I don't think we saw any of that 
There's people a little upset with the joke that he landed with That's Justin Thomas. That could the be in the Venn diagram. The Venn diagram yes. But uh, yeah, Tiger Woods, I think oh, we'll give him a winner for a pretty good okay. performance at the Genesis. And he did say it was the best that he's played. I mean, obviously, since his car crash and, and since he's been coming back. So that's a positive. I hope it gives a little bit of boost moving forward. But, yeah, the Venn diagram for me was the joke he did with Justin Thomas. I just I, you're a legend of this game and a, a leader and someone that we look up to. And it's not kind of strange. It is strange, it's right? It's very uncharacteristic of Tiger Woods. And, I and I, it's uncharacteristic, but also, like, this is kind of an awkward guy, right? Like, kind of like social troubles growing up. And, mm-hmm. we've of course, we've gone through all the issues in his personal life it feels like this stock joke that he had to get a laugh because he was not like a comfort like he wasn't comfortable just being funny guy tiger or whatever and he cut a couple things that he would do but now with all the cameras and all like more attention mm-hmm. to it and also the status you've achieved like it just right. seems wholly unnecessary for him to do something like that so yeah it's it's venn diagram-esque okay so my winner Mac McClung, my loser, Utah possibly. Why because, Utah? Because Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal think that Utah sucks. Okay. So they're on the uh, broadcast. They're sharing their thoughts on Salt Lake City, Utah, the city hosting the NBA All-Star Game, all eyes there. And this is what they had to say on the live broadcast. Nope, they don't have it. Um, I will read it to you. Read it to me. Do we have the clip? Maybe we don't. Oh, hold on a sec. Yes, that one there. Yes. <laughs> These people going to heaven up this way. Ain't nothing to do with this boring ass city. Now it's boring. It's boring. Ain't nothing to do with it. It's a great city. Oh, ladies, it's a great city, but ain't nothing to do here. These people all going to heaven. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've never ate so much room service in my life. Can't smoke, can't drink. <laughs> These people going to heaven. <laughs> Where they going? They going to heaven. I mean, we talked about it. It's a, it's not the it's a little, booming metropolis little of Las Vegas. It is kind of shocking that in this in 2023, the All Star Game would be in Utah. It's a little, it's a little strange. It's it's not exactly the entertainment cap- capital of the world. And it's certainly not. Anyway, but, I just thought it was kind of funny. I only have two losers, and they both competed in the Super Bowl last weekend. Okay. Kansas City Chiefs losers because they lost Eric Bieniemy to a lateral move. Yeah, that was wild. A little strange, right? Like there might be, hey, you know. I thought he was going to be getting a head coach job. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that Eric Bieniemy would have to be at the point. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys who seem wholly unqualified get head coaching jobs and see it blow up in organizations' face. You'd think Eric Bieniemy would get that opportunity, but he had to settle for a lateral move. And why he would even go for a lateral move mm-hmm. is a little strange unless he was told, hey, I got another year here, and then you're the guy. Maybe that makes sense. Uh, but lose, leaving the partnership with Patrick Mahomes seems strange. I mean, Chad Henney just retired with, what, $40, $40 million career earnings? Like, Eric Bieniemy could just hang on with Patrick Mahomes be one of the most successful coordinators ever, make a ton of money, be beloved in a city. Now he risks things a little bit, mm-hmm. going to Washington and seeing if he can have uh, some, the same success or any success, really, with a team that has uh, been pretty embarrassing for the last <laughs> little bit here. And I'll give the Philadelphia Eagles a loser as well because apparently the NFL might crack down on that one-yard push that they mastered and what? used to great effect in the Super Bowl. Apparently the NFL is looking at 
eliminating the the formation where two running backs line no up behind and push Hurts into the end zone. Well, so for what reason? Because a team used it effectively. Like I, I don't get it either. It's stupid. So change the rules. So they're changing oh the rules. God. So Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles can't keep doing this. Why? Because it's boring. It's maybe dangerous. I'm not really sure. But it seems really unfair to Philly to take away one of their primary weapons, which was that one-yard sneak that they could turn into three or four yards, I think, if they really wanted to every single time. Okay, I have two losers from the NFL as well. Um, the NFL. Okay. DK Metcalf is one of the, besides Mac McClung, the hit of the weekend. Um, celebrity All-Star Game MVP, by the way, my team won, and it was not even a question. He absolutely... Hold on, hold on, what? Remember we talked about it on Friday? Your team won? Well, it was like... We just added the points? No, no, not... It was Team Dwayne versus Team Ryan. Oh, sorry. And we, I, we were I said my best bet of the weekend was Team Dwayne. Anyway. Okay, you deserve credit too, though. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. That's not where I'm coming from. DK Metcalf absolutely steals the spotlight, shines, posting these crazy viral clips of him jumping outrageous Out of heights, the gym. Out of the gyms. Um, then he gets a text message within less than 24 hours. Good morning, DK. This is Brian Keller on behalf of the NFL. You've been selected for a PES collection tomorrow at uh, whatever time. Please contact me as soon as possible so we can arrange a time and place to meet. So he's getting drug tested after the NBA All-Star Weekend I'm surprised and the his text viral say, video. Hey, DK, we noticed your athleticism. We're going to need a urine sample. And they say it's random. He has a weekend... Mm-hmm where he's the star and should be, and it was a great athleticism and it's exciting, and then you're going to ruin it by drug testing him. Okay, second part of the losers uh, for the NFL. Well, maybe you don't think it's a loser, but I think it kind of is. Um, so Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and they have their Super Bowl party, and they're prayed. Right. Winning their second ring the last four years. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, most of the team is there enjoying their celebration. One team member didn't attend. Really? Who's that? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Wow. And you know why? He decided to go walk in New York Fashion Week. Oh, I thought he was just protesting because he didn't get into the game. Still. I guess he was protesting. He goes to walk at some Fashion Week show. Oh, he's done. He's done there. Bye-bye. Is that not the biggest tell? Wouldn't you want to go to the Super Bowl parade? Well, not if you're sulky because you didn't get to play. And Jared McKinnon and Isaiah Isaiah Pacheco, uh, you know, ahead of you on the depth chart. I guess fashion week's That's a big thing. It's a big loser move for me. Clyde Edwards Alaire. Uh last one for me. The winners, Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari. Gotta give a winner to them. No one looks like more of a leaf than Ryan O'Reilly. Mm. Nolachari could be a hero in this city if he gives you some of that fourth line grind that has been absent from this team forever. But those two guys have a big spot now, a big opportunity after Kyle Dubas paid such a big price. To be legendary in these parts. So we'll see if O'Reilly and Achari can make best use of a big opportunity they got this weekend. All right, one more loser. Sorry, mine's kind of negative. I got it's some good. Winners, I, but... I had like no losers. I was it's tough to find losers. The NBA. Really? You were a very broad strokes Buddy, for me. You've too. agreed with all of them. Last minute, they changed the all-star game draft format to not hurt anyone's feelings and to draft. Oh, that is a loser move. To draft the reserves first. Look, what are we doing here? And it made uh, Lori Market in the last pick, no? It's so dumb. Like, just draft the people. And also, are we, gonna, are we not going to be able to figure out who would have been last pick? 
It, it was just such a stupid st- last-minute move. I don't know who it was, so maybe it did effectively work. It's but the school. It removes the schoolyard stigma of being picked last. Yeah, it's just so. Come on. It's soft. It's soft. It's soft. You didn't need to do that. It just kind of deflated the wind from the sails because there was so much excitement <laughs> More coming into sales. that. And then you draft the reserves first. And then both like both captains were kind of confused with the process. It just, and first of all, it took way too long to do all that. Nonetheless, I just thought, all right, like. I missed all that with the What are we doing game. here? I just, I watched 10 minutes of it and I was like, I cannot. I'm it wasn't, done. it I'm wasn't thrilling. I did see a lot of LeBron and I thought he was like trending towards loser category. Didn't he call Luka Doncic, Huka Doncic? Yeah. And he thought that was funny. Uh. But no, and then he, then he, then he doesn't play that, the second half of the game. No, and he comes out and he's like so fired up. And it's like, it looked like he was in Space Jam. Like he was acting like he was in a movie. And then he said after the game, 23 of the most important, important games of my career coming up down the stretch here. But he hurt his hand and didn't play the second half of the game. He's uh, load managing. He's corny. Load managing LeBron's in corny. the All-Star game. LeBron's That's where corny. we're at. He's corny. Winners. Um, Blair and Barker are back today. Okay. I might, Huge I'm excited winners. to share that. No, Everyone's a winner now. That's it. Yeah. We're all winners. Yeah, Blair and Barker winners. back starting 11 a.m. to noon every day on 590. And Sportsnet 360, you can watch them on TV. So they're back today. So welcome oh, yeah. back. Happy family day. Winners and losers. See Barker coming in his truck when we're when we're leaving today? Will we? You ever pass Barker in his truck? No, that parking garage. Truck, gra- the parking garage looks- is a bit like worrisome, though. I know. People rip around these corners. I'm, I'm. If, if we were, if we were head on collision, me and Barker in that <laughs> truck, done. he would just go over me. It would be like it would My be the monster truck. My car is smaller than yours. <laughs> I would be flattened <laughs> in the parking garage. Uh, all right. Well, welcome back to the mix squad. Um, on the other side, we got another Sportsnet colleague on family dates. Luke Fox joining us on the other side. Talk about Ryan O'Reilly and Nola Chari and what might be next.